All right, welcome to another Ember Weekend. I'm Jonathan Jackson. And I'm Chase McCarthy. And we are Ember Weekend, and we're going to talk about some Ember stuff. So initially, we thought this week was going to be kind of a like a like a low news week. Like I didn't see a whole lot of things popping up in my feed. And then we actually did some like research this morning, and wow, there is just a lot. Like we have stuff that we're pushing off till next week, even. So I'm really excited to get started. Yeah, and uh, I think I'm broadcasting out of Providence. And Chase, are you broadcasting? Out of, you're broadcasting out of Round Rock, right? right? You're going to be in DC starting tomorrow. Yep, I'm going to be in DC. Like for Ooh, all man. week, it, it is, it's funny that you you are like I think I'm broadcasting out of Providence. Ah, right. Well, yeah. See, I was like I was like a little hesitant about where you were, but I kind of like led the the curiousness when I knew I know I know where I am. I think <laughs> you got me. You got me second guessing. So I don't know. But anyways, we have a really cool show to start with. So I think we should probably just like dive in. I think I might say that every single week. So yeah, let's do it. But first, a word from our sponsors. Hello, I'm Corey, and I'm Matt. Matt and I started our consulting company, 201 Created, five years ago. We've been passionate about Ember and its community since we started and are proud to be able to sponsor Ember Weekend. Our clients have included Fortune 50 companies and Y Combinator startups. If your team needs Ember training or advice or wants to learn how to make open source work for you, visit us at www.201-created.com or follow us on Twitter at 201 T-W-O underscore O-H underscore O-N-E. Thanks for listening and enjoy the podcast. All right, so the first thing we're going to talk about is the Ember.js blog with the release of 2.14 and 2.15 beta. And the blog post is by Matt Beal, Chris Thoburn, and Alex Navasardian. And I, I think there's, there's a lot of performance work being done and some really cool work being done around basically measuring this to, to like find some sort of scientific way to ascertain whether or not we're actually making performance improvements. And the more I dive into performance work on my personal like client project, the more I realize that that's very, very challenging. Profiles are not at all, like reducing the number of variables to something that is kind of meaningful and can give you meaningful numbers is really, really difficult. They have been, to that end, they've been using emberaddons.com along with an add-on by Chris Selden called Ember Macro Benchmark to basically reduce all the variables. I think it actually uses the HAR files from the network, the, from the Chrome DevTools to like play back. So it sets up a server that plays back the, any network requests. So you basically can eliminate those as a variable. And then it actually hooks into R to actually do these cool scatter charts and scatter plots. And then it does like a bunch of different runs. It's really, really neat. I'm actually hoping to start leveraging it soon on a personal project. And I, I'm really excited about that. But a lot of these performance benchmarks have been tracking the improvements of Ember in this blog post specifically from 212 to 213 to 214. And it has these scatter plots that are really, really interesting and very they they seem like we're seeing some pretty considerable performance improvements. So the Ember side of things, I think Chase is going to talk about the Ember data side of things, but the Ember side of things, internally they're using rollup internally to better package and reduce the actual like package size. And I'm I'm pretty sure that actually allows them to do other optimizations. And they're also leveraging more Babel plugins that help them optimize certain things. I mean, there's a lot more complicated stuff in there. The blog post does a better job of explaining the the individual things. And then there's some Ember data stuff that Chase wants to talk about. Yeah, so along with the Ember stuff, there was some roll-up work done here to kind of, I guess I guess Ember data itself is now packaged with roll-up, but then it's, I guess, wrapped in an AMD module. Is that right? It's my understanding that the Ember data package now uses roll-up to produce like a single like output. 
and that doesn't use AMD, which I think saves the the overhead. But I don't know. Rollup is still like I, I I've seen some of it. So most of my understanding of Rollup is around the fact that it can actually like do module like it, it actually does the static analysis that we've been promised for years and years and years around using the import statements to statically analyze your code base and then like basically strip out all of the modules that are unused. And it gets pretty advanced. So I think using that basically kind of reduces the overhead of the AMD stuff, as far as I understand. And, and definitely, if there's somebody out there listening who knows a little bit more about this, you know, reach out to us. And I would love to you know, pick your brain and, and, and chat about it on the Slack channels. But yeah, I think, I think that's the general idea, is that the Ember data package itself is now using Rollup. You know, going back to the Ember stuff, I think many of the packages there are also being moved over to use Rollup to get similar wins there. Yeah. And then the other changes, uh, the big changes with Ember Data were lazy relationships, which I think this is what Chris Thoburn was talking about when he was on, right? Is that the data is not actually processed off the wire until you ask for it. And then and then the other thing is the uh, serializers, which obviously if you don't process the relationship, you can't, you don't really run in the serializers. In the beginning, they were saying this was a conscious decision. This wasn't like an accidental thing because the I guess the emphasis was put on, you know, when I ask for data from Ember Data, I want it to be as fast as possible. Like when I ask for this record, it, it comes out really fast. So basically, they eager loaded all the serializers and all the data in so that when you did ask for it in your app, you got it really fast. But that hurts your performance on initial render. So now you not only have lazy relationships, like lazy kind of reifying of the data, you also get diverged serializations and things like that. So your serializers don't even get looked up until you ask for the things. Yeah, and, and I remember talking to Chris about this. This was, had to have been a long time ago. I think it was maybe last Wicked Good, so maybe over a year ago. I mean, it wasn't specifically about these different things, but it was about doing optimizations and like assuming that lazy was better. And sometimes that's not always true. So this is another area where I think pretty much the entire Ember ecosystem is starting to like to more heavily invest in like benchmarking tools to really actually like prove that this is actually better under real user circumstances. So like an actual user is going to see a benefit from making these changes and then finding some way to measurably react to those things. And then there's also this whole concern that, you know, yeah, this this might be great for somebody who has 10,000 records, but if you have 10, this might actually be a performance hit, so they have to test like all these different ranges of how much data you're dealing with. Exactly, yeah. And it gets it gets pretty complicated pretty quickly, and I know that a lot of times these trade-offs they're not apparent until you actually start getting real numbers around it. And that takes time and it's really challenging. Like I said, you know, doing any of this sort of profiling or, or benchmarking work is really difficult. I'm really excited to see these Ember data changes to kind of like see the the benefit of people actually spending a lot of time trying to really understand how this stuff all actually works performance-wise, especially in Ember data. Because I, I think I, I think when I, I moved to the more recent version of Ember data, maybe 2.12 from like 2.2 on my client app, we saw like, a pretty considerable increase in performance of like loading records. Like we do a lot of initial loading of records. And this is all coming out of work that's just like this, where you're just seeing like people actually analyzing, you know, the different things that can happen and then optimizing for the the, com- the most common path. So it's pretty cool. Definitely check out this blog post. It, it goes into a lot more detail. And I think that it's, it's really good to just pay attention to these releases. They'll give you some insight into how you can better improve your own code base to better conform to Ember's trajectory. So definitely read it, bookmark the blog, and follow along. And the next thing we're going to talk about is a sort of a Twiddle-like app that's specifically for testing Glimmer components. So it's called the Glimmer Playground from Netlify. It starts off really simple. There's just like one component with a template and the component TypeScript. And on the right side, there is the rendered side. And it's much more simple. You can only like create new components with a backing TypeScript file and then you know obviously use those new templates in your 
global template in your application template or I guess top level template. It seems pretty interesting. It's a nice way to just play around with TypeScript and play around with Glimmer and see what you can do with it. Yeah, I, I only found out about this like yesterday, I want to say. I did some pairing on Shop 201, which there's like a Glimmer work on that to do some stuff. I was working with Corey Forsyth and we actually use this to report a bug because it's using like 050 and in our 060 Glimmer application, we noticed like a rendering out of sync error thing. It was really cool to like create a repro in a way that was shareable via a URL. So like you basically create these components and then it will serialize it to a URL that you can like throw. We actually, I think Corey had the really good idea to in, to put it into a bit.ly format so that it's not like this crazy thing or doesn't break when you try to paste it into a GitHub or something. But basically we ended up able to share this, this like working demo and then we created a repo with a working demonstration or reproduction of the actual error that we saw. And this is kind of my first dive in really to, to Glimmer components in general. I haven't had a lot of exposure to it, but that will change in the future because it was actually a really cool development flow. And most of the concepts, like initially, they kind of like are a little jarring, especially coming from Ember. But once you kind of get the vibe for like how tracked works and how maybe even how decorators work and stuff like that, it, it kind of comes together pretty smoothly. So it's pretty cool. And there's, there's still like, I mean, it's still new. So there's still a lot of like areas that are, you know, trouble and difficult to, to start, but it's, it's really, it's in a good spot. And I think that the long-term goals are very cool. But for now, like when you're doing this sort of thing, you can quickly scaffold out and prototype ideas in the Glimmer Playground, which is pretty cool. So I definitely recommend bookmarking it. It's the same thing with Twiddle. Like anytime you want to do a reproduction of a bug or a perceived issue with the thing, reproduce it and share it so that we can get more eyes on it. Yeah, definitely. I'm really hoping uh, that Twiddle gets something similar to this in the future or forks off. Like a Glimmer dropdown to where you can just say, I want to do Glimmer components instead of traditional Ember components. Yeah, I mean, the, the folder structure is going to be a little different. Like with this one, actually, the interaction of how you name the templates is pretty cool. You can just like double click on You can't change the top one, the My Glimmer app, but you can change the name of the template by double clicking on it. The workflow is different from Twiddle. And this is basically using the new, not really pods, but you know, the module style. Yeah, the, the new module unifi- unification uh, style, yeah. Yeah, so each one has a template HPS and a component TS. Which I think that in 2.15, Ember 2.15, I think that the module U stuff is behind a feature flag now. So I'm not 100% certain on that, but I'm pretty sure that 2.15, you can actually like test out the beta of the module unification, which the more I use it and the more I'm exposed to it, the more I like it. But it is it is definitely different <laughs> than classic. Yeah, but like I was saying, it, it doesn't seem like this would probably fit into actually Ember Twiddle because there's no, you don't have any add-ons and all that kind of stuff yet. And oh, right, yeah, yeah. So it's probably yeah. better as a separate thing, but this is fine. But I do like how it saves to GitHub as a gist in Twiddle. Because like with this, you're actually basically like offloading the, that entire data is the string zipped data. And so you're actually like offloading it to like, when you minify it, it's like they're basically just storing your data for you. But I really like putting it in a gist because it's much easier for somebody to find and like poke through the gist and not actually have to like load it. Yeah, and I've been finding that usually when I when I was messing with it, it was mostly I would create like a single component to test out like how do I do this thing? And I would just go there and kind of mess around with it for a little while until it kind of like, oh, that now it clicks. I get it. If I have a child component and I need to track, I need to have it. It's property tracked in the parent. You know, like, you know, you just figure out like a lot of the stuff. And the documentation for Glimmer is still like in progress. Like there's still a lot of work being done there. So sometimes going in and like reading some of the source code and then coming into the playground really helps solidify a lot of the knowledge that is still being you know fleshed out in the documentation. And the next thing we're gonna talk about is the Ember HPS minifier add-on from Simplabs. Another great add-on from Simplabs. It's, it's funny, it's it's a kind of obvious, but kind of like 
wow, you know, that's surprising. That saves so much space. They basically remove or compact your spaces in your templates. So if you have something like five spaces, it'll run over your templates and it will make them into just one space because HTML basically treats the you know five spaces as one space anyway. It can also remove spaces altogether when it can detect that they're they're not necessary. You know, there's there's been some significant wins seen with this, especially if you have a template heavy application. Yeah, I actually ran this on my client app and reduced the gzipped payload size by six kilobytes, which is like, whoa, because it, it, it doesn't require you to do anything. Like I actually looked at the Babel code and like, I mean, well, you, you're much more familiar with, you know, the Babel plugin stuff with like, you know, navigating ASTs and writing all stuff. I know you've done extensive work in that area with, I think you, you wrote the HTML bars prettier. Yeah, it's, a, it's like a printer. It basically just takes the AST and turns it back in. It's not really that one's not really a Babel plugin, but they they all have the same style of like walking an AST. Yeah, right, exactly. So I like read through the code and it's like super readable and it's like really short, and it saved for for that like just you know that that just installing that thing it saved six kilobytes of the gzip size, so like the actual size of the the asset going over the wire. That's like awesome. Like why why not? You know. So I've been really pleased with that. Obviously, <laughs> I'm quick to that revert button in case it, you know, did something kind of weird. But I, I, like, I was able to actually understand what it was doing and what nodes it was mutating. And it's basically just saying, hey, if there's, if like, if like I'm part of a a multiple space string, I'm going to collapse myself. And if I'm at the leading white space node, I'll I'll get rid of myself and so on. You know, like it's it's relatively simple rules. Yeah, there's there's some special cases though around things like pre tags and stuff like that. So there is it's sorry. It, there's more to think about, and it's not trivial. But it's I'm glad that somebody did it and that it's tested and it you know it works really well. Yeah, I, I think I think it's really neat to see things like this kind of pop up. And the and the cool part is is it's also it's reducing like the over the wire cost of sending things down, but it's also reducing the glimmer cost of like looping over more nodes than it needs to. I mean, that's only I think you and I kind of discussed this. It's probably only that would only really affect the initial render because. Subsequent renders wouldn't be in the recompute, so... Yeah, they'd all be static. Yeah, exactly. They'd be static, and they would just be... It'd be like, hey, this can't change, so why would I recompute this? But it's still really interesting to see, like, hey, like, a few simple changes can have, like, really interesting effects. It's kind of showing me the the value in kind of moving the Babel. Like, there was a lot of pain getting all of these toolkits to Babel 6, and I'm, I'm understanding why we had to pay that forward as a, as a community, because, you know, things like this are possible. And like I said, I mean, six kilobytes for free, that's pretty nice. And I think I think it does require Ember CLI 2.12. Yeah. It, the first commit on it was made with 2.11 beta. So it makes me think maybe it would work with 2.11 or 2.11 beta or something. But yeah, it definitely works with 2.12. Maybe it was 2.10. I don't know when they, because they, I think it's a Babel 6 plugin. So I think it was whenever Babel 6 was introduced. Is that 2.10? Well, I'm working on an app that, has, that uses Ember CLI 2.10. And so... I think that would mean, because it really doesn't matter about your Ember version, it's just your Ember CLI version. Well, yeah, and, and the Babel version too. So if you still, if you have like the Ember CLI, but you're still hard coding Ember CLI Babel 5, maybe that's the problem. I don't know. Anyways, yeah, I mean, versioning, it's, it's difficult, but <laughs> but this is really cool and it was, a, it was an easy, nice little plug-in win. So check it out and maybe it will save you some space. All right, and the uh, final thing we're going to talk about is a blog post based off of a talk from Tom Dale called Making the Jump. And then it's like hyphenated how desktop era frameworks can thrive in mobile. And, and a couple of things. One, I think this was an incredibly like balanced talk. Tom really spent a lot of time going through all of the different ways that these frameworks kind of coexist and are all pushing 
the boundary in different places and how that's relevant. So I think the Facebook React folk, like he, he mentions a thing called prepack, which is this me- method for like, say you had a string with some interpolation in it. Well, if the thing that's being interpolated can be known at build time, you can just, instead of like doing that interpolation, you can actually just substitute the string for the full string. And you can do a whole bunch of really cool things. Actually, Chase, you, you mentioned there was a moment example as well, right? Yeah, in this blog post, like I was thinking this was like a really simple thing. Like if you have a const string, like maybe even in the same file, or maybe you import it, it goes, okay, I can see that you're using like a constant string to do this. So there's no way this is going to change from anything to anything else. There's a much more complicated example where they do an import of moment. They do a moment parsing of a static string. And then they format it to some month, day, year kind of thing. And then they then string interpolate that. And the thing's able to take out the import completely because that was the only use case of moment and then take that final result and just put it right in the string because they knew it was static because you used a static date. That's a really complicated example. And that means that the, the three lines are reduced down to one static string. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, it's super cool. There's a lot of really interesting applications here. So that's, that's kind of like one aspect. Um, and he goes through that. And then he also goes through an example where he mentions and kind of calls out Angular too as being really cool for basically like really getting behind TypeScript to do really cool things. So there's this compiler called the Closure Compiler that has a really specific kind of difficult syntax. It's, it's a little bit obscure and it's also difficult to do. And using TypeScript annotations, they have this plugin called Sickle with a silent T. It's pretty clever, but also like difficult to tell people, oh, look at look up Sickle and they'll type S-I-C. No, it's yeah. T-Sickle. It's T-Sickle, right. <laughs> so anyways, it basically can transpile your TypeScript into Clojure compiler code for some like really cool optimization wins. And you gain a bunch of benefit without having to know all the details and like, you know, really leveraging the power of TypeScript. That's React, Angular, and then he gets to the Ember side. And he starts talking about Glimmer, which we've talked about quite a bit. But basically, he talks about the rendering and how the first render actually creates, as part of its first pass, it also creates the instruction set for a re-render. So during the first pass, it has to go over every node, because that's how you, you do that. And then any interactive bit gets written to the second instruction set, and any static bit stays the exact same. So the re-render instructions become like as basically as small as they possibly can be. So you're only traversing things that are interactive or, or dynamic, I guess is the word. And how that that has its own like wins. And especially on re-render, it's like on par with initial render and is significantly like probably as close to as little work as you need to do to get the re-renders. I actually watched the talk first and I thought it was really good. And then I came back and read the blog post. And the blog post is like a, a much more clear and probably like more information dense. I know I listen to most like talks, especially conference talks and stuff at like 2x. And when you get a really good conversion from a from a talk to a blog post, the, the density, the information density is even more dense. So like going through the blog was really, really nice and kind of illuminating. It was also like pretty well written. I don't know. It's like well produced. It was a very fun blog to read and it has a lot of interesting things. And like I said, I think it's pretty fair representation of what's going on in the and how frameworks are facilitating, you know, the web programming to kind of work on mobile. Yeah, for sure. You know, Tom Dale's talks are always pretty kind of like inspiring and a lot of great information packed in like a really <laughs> dense form. And it's really great. Like I haven't even heard of prepack. Like all the TypeScript stuff seems like you're constantly hearing that. So it's nice to have people going out to other communities and like other frameworks and like pulling in those things. Tom Dale always does a great job of doing that. Definitely. Make sure you go through and watch this talk and also read through the post. It'll definitely help, I think, solidify some of the things that you hear in the talk. It's also a good reference just to like remember what prepack does 
what optimizations and stuff Glover, Glover does. I mean, there's there's just so much information in the post. It's definitely worth reading, even if you watch the talk. So, so yeah, check it out. All right. Uh, thanks for listening. As always, it's great to uh, have you. Thank you for spending time with us to go through some of this Ember stuff. We're uh, edited by Joel North. I'm Jonathan Jackson. And I'm Chase McCarthy. And if you'd like to follow along for future episodes of Ember Weekend, you can find us on Twitter at Ember Weekend, all one word, or our RSS feed at emberweekend.com slash feed XML. Or if you're fancy, you can type Ember Weekend into iTunes. And we will see you next week. See you next week. 